Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. My testimony with you today is how I learned to hear the voice of God and where it has led me. I was born August 7, 1976. Yes, the bicentennial year in Manhattan. I'm a New Yorker. My parents are Paula and Spencer Wooten, and when I was seven, we moved to New Jersey, and then my sister was born, Laura, 1984. She looked just like Shirley Temple, had the curls and everything. And I have to say, I was jealous. Her name is Laura. There's a movie and a song for her, and I just had Kimberly and Kim. Didn't I? I, I was quite jealous. But there you have it. There we are, family of four. My mom would play and sing at the piano, and that inspired me to want to do the same, because little girls wanted me just like their moms. And so I asked to play the piano, and I was only four. And I can tell you it's not easy finding a teacher to teach children at age four. They don't sit still long enough. But she found one, and I began to study piano. While in grade school, in the fourth grade at my school, you had the opportunity to choose a band instrument. My instrument of choice was the flute. All the popular girls played the flute. My mom said, no, you should play the French horn. So when it came time to try out the instruments, I couldn't play the flute. So I said, all right, I'll play the French horn. And my teacher said, are you sure? I said, I think so. I didn't even know what it looked like. She pulls it out, and there it is, the French horn in all its glory, and I could play it. So I said, that's it, sign me up. So I take on the French horn. And with the French horn, that's when it became clear that I had a gift. I ended up becoming the first student in the history of my grade school and my high school to make regional band and orchestra, all state band and orchestra, and I even went so far as to go to all Eastern. I was in the newspaper, Rainier Diantinis from Juilliard and Manus read about me in the newspaper, and he was a retired French horn player from the New York Philharmonic, and he took me on as a student. And because of that, I ended up going to Manus, the College of Music, where he was a professor, and that's where I was planning to play for movie soundtracks. That was what I envisioned for myself. I was gonna move to Vermont and live in the middle of the woods, but yet still play for movie soundtracks. My hobby in high school was to get those movie soundtracks and play them in my room, and I would sit on my bed and figure out French horn parts, and then I would play along as if I was playing the movie soundtrack. But while at Manus, I also taught myself the guitar. There was a gentleman I was dating who played the guitar and I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if we played guitar together and we sang and did harmonies and wrote songs? That'd be awesome. Well, the relationship didn't last, thank goodness, because then I wouldn't be here and have all these wonderful kids, but the guitar playing is what stuck. And with that, I began writing my own songs and there was a little shift in what I wanted to do with my life. At the time, Jewel was very famous, everybody knew who she was, and I wanted to be the next one. However, I had some problems with the singing part. I always sang, my mom said, you need to stick with the French horn, that's a rare instrument, everybody sings, don't do the singing thing. 
Well, when I got to Manus and I was working my own jobs and making my own money, I decided to take some voice lessons because I was struggling with my voice. I love to sing, but all these different things were happening when I would sing, and I'm like, eh, I need help. My best friend in college was an opera singer, so I said, Liel, what do I do? She says, go see my teacher at Manhattan School of Music, Lynn Vardaman. Okay. So I went. I was afraid she would make me an opera singer. I love opera is a, is a gift in itself. It's beautiful music, but that's not the kind of voice I wanted. And at my first lesson, Lynn asked me, what do you want? What do you want to get out of these lessons? And I said, I want a pure voice. I want to sing where you don't need to add anything and get the message across. Because the world needs showy, and I don't want to be showy. I want to be pure. And that's exactly what I got. So now, I'm hoping to be famous and record. I'm recording stuff at my uncle's house in Long Island. My dad's sharing it with all his record buddies. So how do I end up in New Orleans? Well, my dad owned record stores in Manhattan, and Guy, my husband, owned a record store in Los Angeles. He was born and raised here in New Orleans, but was in Los Angeles at the time where they became customers. And in those days, you didn't need to meet somebody to be partners or, or work together in the music industry. It was just fax, phone, and mailing. So now Guy from LA would be calling my dad, and I do remember Guy from LA calling. Is your daddy there? No, can I take a message? Yeah, it's Guy from LA, okay. I wasn't good about giving messages to the point where one day my dad said, baby girl, did, did Guy from LA call? Oh yeah, I really need you to give me these messages. They're very important. So we didn't meet guys, so I'm about seven years old, right? I'm about seven when they start doing business together. But we didn't meet Guy face to face until I was at Manus. He came in for a Beatle festival at the Meadowlands, and we all met Guy for the first time. And he invites me to come to New Orleans to record my music at his studio. He had a, a hobby of recording music at his house. All right, sounds cool. So I graduate Manus, and I come to New Orleans for the first time. It was July 1999. And I stayed a whole week recording my music. And we just talked. And we saw so many things the same. Like we, we, we thought the same. And we decided, you know what? We may be 16 years different in age, but let's date. OK. So, <laughs> so that's July 1999. We decide to date. He says, you know what? Come on back for your birthday. My birthday's in August, the next month. This sounds great. So my birthday with my new boyfriend, awesome. So I come back to New Orleans. And after that trip, I was supposed to go to England to visit a friend. And I'm packing up the night before, and I pull out my drawer, and there's my passport. Oh, yeah, I need a passport. I forgot. <laughs> when I opened up my passport, it, it had expired. So there was no way I was going to England and, you know, 24 hours, get my passport fixed. So I had to cancel the trip. So I call up my boyfriend. Hey, can't go to England. He says, no problem. I'll come see you. Awesome. So he flies on up. This is the end of August. And during that trip, he proposes. We dated for a little over a month, though we did know each other for quite a long time. I say yes, but he says, you know, you need to move to New Orleans. I said, not a problem. So we were married a year later on Friday the 13th. It was October 13th, 2000. We picked it because we both love the number 13, and I really like Friday the 13th, and that's, hey, 
That was awesome. After our honeymoon, this was my home. 1325 General Pershing Street, uptown New Orleans. And this is where Guy had a recording studio as a hobby. So now I'm new to the city and I have to admit, while I was at college, I did leave the faith. I was raised Episcopal. We were an Episcopal family. My mom's father was an Episcopal priest. He died when she was a little girl. I had his eye coloring and everything I did musically, he was my inspiration. His name was Robert, Robert Hall. Um, and so Guy, I, I left the church during college. I, I felt that there was a greater power out there. I didn't know what it was called though, but there was a power out there. Jesus was a nice person that roamed the earth. The Bible was a nice little storybook. And religion was a way to put fear into people to behave. And it wasn't working out so well. So that's kind of where I stood in, in college. But Guy would go to Mass every Sunday. And you know when you, you date somebody, sometimes you like to impress them. So I started going back to church. So like, look, I went to church. I went to church. And so I reconnected with being Episcopal. So when I moved to New Orleans, I would go to St. Pius with Guy. And then I found my own church, St. George's Episcopal, where I became involved with the choir. And eventually I was the Sunday school director for that church. And while there, they have a small group called the Holy Catholics that have a service in the side chapel of St. George's. And they were looking for a new music minister who could play and sing at the same time. And that was me. And since I was a member of St. George's, they came to me and asked if I would take the job. I said, sure. So I landed my first church job. Now I was either gonna do movie soundtracks or be the next jewel and here I am doing church music. <laughs> well, people were moved by how I sang, that, that gift, that music that I had was coming through and, and the parishioners would say, gosh, we love hearing you sing. We can only hear you during the week too. So I thought, well, my husband has a recording studio Let's record something. So the first song I chose was How Can I Keep From Singing? And while we, were, we recorded this, recording's a slow process and I really don't have patience for it, to be quite honest. So he's fiddling with something and I'm just sitting there waiting. And then this voice speaks to me and says, you need to focus on church music. That's what you need to do. And I'm like, <laughs> turned to Guy, I said, Guy, I just have this feeling I, I'm supposed to do church music. I do not understand this at all. I dismissed it, no way, because even though, yeah, I was going to church in my heart, it still wasn't planted. You know, I didn't fully believe anything yet. Within our first year of marriage, the music industry changes, and we didn't want to leave this beautiful house, so we decided to become innkeepers, and we became bed and breakfast owners. Our bed and breakfast was called Maison Belle Reve. Now, those of you who have taken French, I'm not saying it properly, it should be Rev, but it's from Streetcar Named Desire, Maison Belle Reve. So we ran a bed and breakfast. And then we were blessed with many, many, many children. <laughs> First came Robert, named after my grandfather, Robert. Now, at St. George's, they have the adults do the Christmas pageant during Epiphany. And they asked me to be Mary couldn't believe this. I got to play Mary. And they said, well, we just want to warn you. 
that every time we ask someone to be married, within the year they're expecting. So I, I do my Mary roll, thank goodness there was no speaking parts. I just did the acting part, right? And then, lo and behold, we were expecting. And then came Robert. In the years to follow, we had Samantha, who's sitting right over here. Can you wave hello, Samantha? Hello. And then Spencer. And by the time we had Spencer, we realized that running a bed and breakfast and children all in the same household doesn't work very well. Guests are coming for a nice quiet weekend and you hear <laughs> drop coming from the ceiling. My kids want to eat the breakfast that's on the table and I can't let them go to the table. It was, it was those newborns, right? They screamed during the middle of the night. We did whatever it took to keep that baby quiet. So we didn't have some really good routines because it was just whatever we could do so that the guests were happy. So it was clear we couldn't do this anymore. So we put the house up on the market. Little did we know it would take longer than we thought or we would like. And the next thing you know, we're expecting our fourth child. And now we're getting close to the delivery date of that fourth child, and we still have no activity on this house. Now, by going to church with the Holy Catholics, I would hear about Mary. You know, Episcopals don't talk much about Mary, but at the Holy Catholics, Father John would mention Mary a lot. And I thought, I've got nothing else to lose. I'm tired of, I, we couldn't afford a cleaning person, so I had to clean that house. Sometimes Guy was available to help out. But there I am, very pregnant, and I'd have to sweep and spray the floors and then vacuum the rugs. So I'm cleaning the floors with the rag on all fours with this baby, crying. And I finally say, Mary, please help me. You know what it's like to be bursting out with a baby and working hard and I'm really stressed and we really need to move, please help. Well, within the week, guy's born, activity begins to happen, the house sells. By October, we now move to Old Metairie. What happened with Mary was just kind of, okay, coincidence. We moved to Old Metairie and then we have our fifth child, Henry. He's not so little anymore. All right, musically, now that I'm here in New Orleans, uh, my French horn, no one really knew what it was used for, so I, I didn't get to use that very much. Just the, the piano and the singing. Moving to Old Metairie, we become members of St. Martin's Episcopal Church, where I get involved with the Children's Chapel, and I meet Mr. Kim. And Kim would sub for Kim. We were K2. He was involved, and he still is involved, with the Addiction Recovery Ministry. And they approached him, they, they have a women's retreat in January and a co-ed retreat in August. And the women did not want a man coming in to lead the music, so they asked him, do you know anybody? And he said, oh yeah, I know somebody, and they gave him my number. So I was available to, to lead this Taze service, never heard of a Taze before. So Mr. Kim said, don't worry, I'll come to your house. So two days before I'm off to do this Taze, he comes with his music, he shows me how to do it. Off I go, and I lead my very first Taze, and it was so powerful. We were at the Solomon Center in their church with the glass windows and the candlelight and the music and the women and the anointing. It was, it was so powerful, and I realized that you know, it spoke to my heart, and I wanted to do more of it. Now, also at St. Martin's, I was a, a Sunday school teacher, and I assisted the, the Sunday school director there, and in time, I became an assistant music director. Now also, while at St. Martin's, I learned about Lambeth House and how at Lambeth House, they have an interdenominational service on Sundays. 
And I thought, you know what, let me go bring music to this. So every Sunday, I would help bring music to their interdenominational service. And by doing that, I ended up becoming part of Real Presence. Uh, Real Presence is a service at the Christ Church Cathedral on St. Charles Avenue. They wanted to change their 5 p.m. service to be, it's, I call it like adult Sunday school. It's a regular service, but it's all candlelit, and there's like six different stations for you to encounter God deeper. They look at the themes for, the, for about six weeks. You know, they look at the readings, figure out a theme, and based on the theme, they come up with this music, and they come up with these hands-on activities. And for six weeks, it's the same music and the same activities. And that is where I met Jack Kraft and Jim Walpole, and we became the Real Presence Trio. And again, that spoke to my heart, this taking your hymns and slowing them down. There was something about this slowing down that was really starting to feed and, and shape my music. So with the Real Presence Trio, we then would go to St. Martin's where we would lead the Taze service and we would do that during Lent. And in Advent, we would do a healing concert. And then the other thing I got from being at Lambeth House was I met Jonathan Key. I think many of you might have taken Williams Boulevard to get here, and you would have passed Williams Boulevard Baptist Church. Jonathan Key was the music director, or associate, or he was the worship leader at Williams Boulevard Baptist Church, and he came to lead one of the services at Lambeth House where I was doing the music. When he learned that I played the French horn and did all these musical things, he then said, I'm looking for a French horn player to play for this thing we're doing at our church called The Story. Would you come? Sure, I'll come. And he says, and we have a vacation Bible school in the summer, and we need someone to lead the music for that. Will you come? Sure, I'll come. Little did I know that now my spiritual journey was about to really take off. After having Henry, I realized I needed to get this religion thing in check, because I was teaching Sunday school, I've been directing Sunday school, I'm singing God music, and yet, I was still lacking that experience that I would teach about, right? Jesus in your heart, being spiritually fed, hearing the voice of God, following Jesus. That was so foreign to me. And so after having my fifth child, I realized I'm getting older, I've got children, and I better sort this out. Now our children were all baptized Episcopal. Originally, Guy and I said we were going to swap religions, so Robert was going to be Episcopal, and Samantha would be Catholic, and Spencer would be Episcopal, that makes Guy Catholic. So, <laughs> but when it was time for Samantha to be baptized Catholic, I'm like, that's just too confusing. I can see them like, it's not fair, they have to go to CCD, and I don't, and I just, so I said, Guy, can we just keep it simple? Can we just baptize them all Episcopal? And he said, okay, thank you. So, <laughs> so now I'm starting to, to, to search for the truth. When we search for truth, God provides. So I take a class at St. Martin's on spirituality. I get nothing out of it. I, always, I just, every time it's time to go, oh, I don't want to go, but what if, what if that was the night I would have learned something? Didn't work. But when I walked through the doors of Williams Boulevard Baptist Church, I felt a presence, and I knew it was God. And when we had rehearsal, we prayed before that, 
the start of rehearsal, and we prayed during rehearsal, and after, I mean, there was so much prayer, oh my gosh, but I loved how it was from the heart. It wasn't just repeating something off a page. And then when you go to their Sunday service, the musicians have rehearsal, and then everybody's allowed to go to Bible study, and then there's the worship service. When we were performing the story, it was like, well, here I am. I'm not gonna sit in the sanctuary. I might as well go to a Bible study. So I roamed the halls, and I was invited to this one room, when they were like, can I help you? Yes, I'm looking for a Bible study. Oh, come to Byron Johnson's class. He's great. Okay. So I sat in the back of the room, and now I experience this incredible experience of the words coming out of his mouth spoke directly to my heart. It was as if it was just me and Byron, and he was speaking direct. Every word out of his mouth was a message for me, and I'm sobbing in the back of the room. I come home, I'm like, guy, I've been going to church my whole life, most of it, with the exception of college, but most of my life, and I have never experienced anything like this. So I tell Byron what's happening, and he says, oh, the Lord is speaking to you, and I have this non-denominational Bible study in Destrahan every Friday night. You're more than welcome to come. Give me your email. And when you're not here, because I'm only coming every now and then when I'm, when I'm asked to share my gifts, he says, I'll put you on my email list and you'll get every Sunday, you'll get my class. Thank you, Byron. I would clean house and listen to Byron's Sunday school classes. Once a month, it was mommy's night to go to Destrahan and sit in on his classes. And I would come to him with questions and he would have answers and he would just say, I love your thirst for the Lord. And whenever you're ready to accept Jesus, I'm happy to help you. And so now I began to understand that thirsting and being spiritually fed, that became part of the journey. Then Jonathan Key says, we're having a good Friday service. Would you like to sing? Oh yeah, would I love to sing? Because for me, I, I, I considered myself a singer. Yeah, I played piano and French horn, but now I'm a singer. But I was really tired. I was singing every night of the week for Holy Week, and I was like, ah, I just don't feel like it. But I had this arrow in my heart while listening to the radio. This song came on called Beneath the Cross, and there was the arrow in my heart, and God says, you're gonna sing on Good Friday, and this is the song you're singing. So I call up Jonathan and I said, okay, I'm in, this is the song, and to keep it simple, I'll just play and sing so I don't have to worry about making arrangements with your piano player. Great. Well, after the service, Jonathan says to me, I had no idea you did that too. <laughs> By the way, our piano player is expecting, and we need someone to fill in for her while she's out on maternity leave. Would you be willing? Oh yeah, then I'll get Byron Johnson's class every Sunday live. And this is, and I'll get more of this crying and healing. And oh my God, this is awesome. Yeah, I'll do it. Well, halfway into my subbing, I find out that her husband gets a job that's gonna move him far away. Well, now they're looking for a permanent piano player and they ask me and I'm going inside. Seriously, I'm Episcopalian, I'm not even Baptist, and you're asking me to be your piano player. The piano player is at the center of the stage. Baby grand piano, center of the stage. The praise team, there's like 16 people on that team, all around me. The 
piano player drives the band. The piano player plays when the pastor's talking. I mean, it's just tons of money. And I didn't think, I, no way, I can't do that. I'm a singer, not a piano player. But remember, I'm beginning to hear that voice of God, and he would wake me up during the middle of the night and say, you gotta be a piano player. And finally I gave in, and I called Jonathan and I said, I accept, I'll be the piano player. So now my family's going to two different churches. Guy the Good Catholic is taking the children to the Episcopal Church, while I'm rocking it with Jesus at the Baptist Church. <laughs> and then I had the moment where I accept the Lord. It's December of 2014. I'm in Byron Johnson's class. He gives this Sunday school class about the judgment day, and then not only did I get an arrow, but God was gripping my heart, and he was shaking it so hard it hurt. I thought my heart was going to pop out of my chest. And he says, you're going to accept the Lord. And Jesus is going, Britt, let me in, let me in. And I'm sobbing, and I, I'm fine, I'll do it. So after the class, I said, Byron, I am ready to accept the Lord. He says, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I'll meet you after worship service, and we'll pray for Jesus to enter your heart. Thank you, John. Thank you. So after the worship service, he meets me at the stage, and he says, okay, pray. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Jesus, come. come. He can tell I'm stumbling. So he says, repeat after me. And as I repeated the words that he said, this fiery sensation came down upon my head, and it flushed through my body. I was filled with fire, and yet I felt as if I was on a cloud. And the tears, I could barely, I was sobbing through whatever I was saying after Byron. And then he says, we gotta go tell pastor. And I'm thinking, what am I gonna tell my husband? Oh my gosh. I see Jack and Jim at Real Presence. I tell Jim what happens. He's like, I'm so proud of you, because he was Baptist once and now Catholic. He's like, I'm, did you tell Guy yet? No, I'm scared. <laughs> That night, laying in bed, I'm like, I got it. I have to tell him. I say, guy? <laughs> yes. And I share what happens. And he was so excited for me. I didn't expect that response. A Catholic saying, my wife's a Baptist. Woohoo! You know, like, oh my gosh. Well, when you receive the Lord, you have to meet with Pastor. So I meet with Pastor Tim. And he tells me that I am like a little child. And the more I get to know the Lord, I'll begin to grow up. He also shared not to compare myself with others, but to compare myself to those in the Bible. And he also recommended that I do Bible studies, those books, you know, Bible study books. He gave me a Beth Moore Bible study, and off I went. And he said, you don't have to be baptized if you don't want to, but if you'd like to, that's cool too. So I said, oh yeah, I want that full body immersion thing. I, I want to do that. So it was August when I was baptized. Now the night before my baptism, I ended up with a migraine so bad, I couldn't get out of the bed, and I didn't think I was going to make it to my baptism. So we contacted Pastor Tim and said, it's uh, not sure if I'll be there. Okay. Well, when I got up Sunday morning, it was now just an annoying headache. But if those of you who have migraines will understand, like, you feel like you've been in a fight of some kind, like my body was just drained. I got myself to Williams Boulevard, and saw Byron, went to his class, and I said, Byron, this is what's going on. And his response was, Tempter's trying to keep you 
from being baptized because he knows the plans God has for you. Now, this picture here was taken by my friend Myron, these two butterflies. He's someone else from Williams Boulevard that I met. And this picture really speaks to me about that part of my life. This butterfly here with the wings spread open is Jesus. You know, a butterfly starts off as a worm, right? And then it goes through that metamorphosis in, in the cocoon, right? So in my baptism, I came out of the darkness. And now my wings, you know, it, it takes an hour before the butterfly can fly away, right? Because their wings are really wet. And so there's my Jesus there, butterfly Jesus. And he's saying, welcome, welcome. I am here for you. And I'm going to help you get to grow with me and know me better. I'm going to help you pray. I'm going to speak to you through devotionals. I'm going to speak to you through Bible studies. You're going to change your language. You're going to change your style of music. I'm even going to change your parenting. I'm going to bless your marriage. And I'm here for you, right? And there I am going, okay. He's going to teach me how to fly. <sighs> okay, Jesus, I got you. But now I got Jesus in my heart. I found my Jesus. And now I've got this prayer life. I'm turning 40, and Pastor Tim's going to Liberia. His parents were missionaries in Liberia, and so he was raised over there. And he's involved with an um, orphanage, and oftentimes he does these mission trips there. And I could just see myself rocking with the little orphans with the music, praising Jesus. So I said, Pastor Tim, I so want to go. But when he told me all the things that needed to be done and the time frame, I'm, this is just not going to work. Darn. Instead... I offered my services to the new school that my children were going to attend. Robert was at Metairie Academy and happy as anything. But the rest of the children, we'd been to multiple Catholic churches and Catholic schools and didn't find a good fit. And eventually we heard about a school called St. Angela Marisi. I learned about it on the soccer field while venting about the school we were at. And the mom said, oh, you gotta go to St. Angela. Where, where is that? She says, oh, it's over here, call up the principal, you'll get a tour, it's perfect, you gotta go. Well, that person was right. And so my children, four of the children were going to start there and I thought, what better way to get acclimated to a new school with the teachers and the students and the building orientation than to go to vacation Bible school? And well, I do music for the Baptists, maybe they could use my services here. So I go to the office, who's in charge? I offer my services to help out with the music. They say, wonderful, this is answered prayer. And so we go off to Vacation Bible School. And by the end of the week, actually the last day of camp, Miss Bennett approaches me and says, I'd like to set up a meeting with you to talk about being the children's choir director at our school. Oh my gosh, I wasn't supposed to go to Liberia. I was supposed to be there, because now God really starts to rev things up. In prayer, I realize I've got three trees growing. I've got my Baptist tree, I'm now the penis, and I'm not only just the piano player, I'm now the music secretary and the associate worship leader. Then there's the Episcopal church, the Episcopal tree, right? I'm Episcopalian, we're members of St. Martin's, and I'm doing real presence at the cathedral. And now a new little tree has sprung up. It's St. Angela, where I'm the children's choir director, and the choir sings once a month. Many of us women know how to multitask, right? We can do a lot of things all at once. But I realize it's better to focus on one thing than to do a thousand things, to really put your energy into one and give it everything, right? I felt like I was spread thin trying to juggle all of this. And so God 
starts to prune. Now, in my opinion, this is the one that's gonna stay. But guess what was the first one to go? <laughs> the Episcopal Church is the first to go. Are you kidding me? Like, the trio, that's my new claim to fame. Forget Jewel, I'm gonna be the famous Real Presence Trio traveling the world, helping people to get close to God through quiet music. We're gonna do that, but no. And I'm, the pain, I, I sobbed every time I'd hear a recording of our music, I would be crying in the car. Samantha can attest to that, like, you couldn't have a conversation with me, I was just crying. And Guy and I did not like the direction the Episcopal Church was going in, and we decided, you know what, we can't support this anymore, we've got to leave. The good Catholic decides to join me with the Baptists. <laughs> so now, I'm at Williams Boulevard and St. Angela, bound to two, and I figured, all right, it's gotta be the Baptist Church, that's where I'm supposed to put all my energy. Now I miss real presence. The Baptists are, woohoo, praise the Lord, and I love it, it's great. But I was missing that slow music. I was missing my trio, and I needed to find a way to express myself that way. So I went to Pastor Tim, and I said, Pastor, can I do a service here? Sure, pick a date, have fun. Great. So to keep things simple, I asked Jack to join me with the cello. So I was going to play the piano and sing, and Jack would play the cello with me. And our first service was called Blessings. And after that service was the big, aha, I realized why God wanted me to be a piano player. One, I found Jesus. Two, I was being conformed to Jesus. And three, he wanted me to not only be a piano player, but to play and sing at the same time because I was able to express myself with the piano instead of having someone else's interpretation. So the way I sang and the way I played blended together with Jack Kraft as the sprinkles on top. <laughs> so I realized, all right, this is, this is the new thing. This is, this is it. Jack and I, we're gonna hit the road and I'm gonna be this Baptist person but offer this different style of music. But then the seasons begin to change. Things change at Williams to the point where I resign all my roles except for being a piano player. And I figured the reason why the seasons were changing was because my dad got sick. Now the last time my dad came to New Orleans, it was for his birthday in 2016, November 28th. And while we were out for dinner at Slice Pizza, his favorite food was pizza, I heard the voice. And the voice said, your dad's not gonna make it to his next birthday. And I didn't want to listen to that voice. I figured that's got to be tempter trying to scare me. I turned to Guy and I said, we're buying all the meal. Something's up, we're, we're, my dad's not paying anything for this evening. Sure enough, that spring, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And that was the spring of 2017. In fact, I was with my children's choir when I got the call. That's what was going on. He did all the treatments, but every time it was bad news and bad news. And I began to think, I. I have a feeling that that voice really was the voice of God preparing me for the journey ahead. And this is where I really began to learn to listen and trust God. For me, I wanted to be with my dad holding his hand when he died. To me, that was the greatest thing I could do. And 
he would tell me when to go, like my dad's in New Jersey, I'm in New Orleans, right? So now that I'm just a piano player and I only do mass once a week at St. Angela, it allowed me to go visit my dad. And God would say, okay, this is when you should go, this is how long, this is when you come back. Well, it's October 2017, go up to visit, and he had just gotten a feeding tube and it got infected. And we went to the doctor and next thing you know, he's in the ER. And we don't think he's gonna make it. Guy calls me and he says, there's a hurricane coming and I need you to come home. But my dad might die and you're telling me to come home. So I, I'm in the hospital lobby and I look up to God and I'm going, I don't know what to do here. Dad's gonna die. I really wanna hold his hand when he's dying. And my husband's telling me to come home to the five kids because of this hurricane. What do I do? And he says, you know where your dad is going. He's lived his life and he's coming home to me. But your children are young and you need to go home to them. So I left and he said, and he said trust him, okay? So I leave the hospital, get on the plane, come to New Orleans. I'm, I make it just in time before the airports are closed. And I tell you how that was so hard to be so far away. Sunday I'm at Williams Boulevard doing worship service and the hurricane didn't come. So guy says, you know what? Go, go back, it's okay, we got this. So I get back on the plane Sunday afternoon and I go back to my dad and he made it. And that week with him was incredible because I was able to share my faith with him. He knew I was baptized. He was so proud that I was at the Baptist church. He told me, baby girl, the Baptist church is where you need to be. He saw me worshiping on that stage. This is, forget real presence, forget that with the Baptists. And the devotionals I had, it was the first time ever where the devotional was the same scripture passage within two days. And it was do not fear. And the do not fear I had on Sunday was not the same do not fear on Thursday when I was talking to my dad. And I got to share with him about my conversion and, and how St. Paul was like my favorite saint because he went from being blinded to the truth of Jesus, to seeing, and then became the greatest missionary out there. And then I shared how my favorite song was, I Saw the Light, because of that. And my dad's going, I love that song. Oh, Hank Williams, he's great. It's just this beautiful moment with my dad. And I said, we've got nothing to fear, Daddy. Came home, and it turned out he made it to his birthday, November 28th, 2017. He said, when are you coming back? I said, I don't know, Daddy. I can't tell. Like, it was the first time that... God wasn't telling me when to come back. And that was because he was gonna call him home. It was December 8th, I dropped Robert off at Patrick Taylor and I always talked to my daddy every morning driving back from Patrick Taylor and that day I left my phone at home. I thought, oh, well I'll just call him after I drop off the kids at St. Angela. Well I did and my sister calls me. She says, we found daddy unconscious. He's being rushed to the hospital. I got mass today, oh my gosh. Okay, so I go upstairs and I take Psalm 23. God said, rewrite that and put your dad's name in its place. The Lord is my dad's shepherd. There is nothing he shall want. He makes my dad by the still waters. And now it's time to get my choir and lead mass. I get my choir, go downstairs, get the call, your dad's passed. My daughter was in the choir, I point to her, I let her know, Rip up is in heaven and I just sob and my choir came out of the pews and surrounded me with hugs and love 
And I said, today this mass is for my daddy. We're gonna sing for my daddy today. So they get back in, we lead mass, and now I get a text saying, nope, he's not dead yet. He's actually still alive. <laughs> People are coming up to me, we're so sorry that your dad has passed, and I'm like, I'm not even gonna go there. Mass ends, I'm in the back talking to Deacon Gill and Father Bo, and I still go, I still can't tell them yet. This is, no, we're just gonna, yep, yeah, we're gonna drive up, all that. Now I get a call. Your dad's at the end of his life. Would you like us to put him on speakerphone for you? I said, yes. So I walk outside and I'm standing at the stairs that take you up to the school office and I get to tell my dad how special he is. And on that day of all days was when it snowed in New Orleans. I told him how rare it was that it snowed in New Orleans and how rare he was and then God gripped my heart and he said, I need you to tell your daddy to follow Jesus home. I tell my dad, dad, I know I'm not standing here next to you holding your hand. That's what I wanted to do. But I need you to take, go to Jesus and follow him home and it's okay. And one day I'm gonna join you and we're gonna sing doo-wop in heaven forever. <laughs> and as soon as I finished, my sister says, Daddy's dead, and the church bell is trying to leaven. I was so filled with joy. Oh my gosh, like instead of holding my dad's hands, I told him to go home. I told him, I run into the church, now I need to tell somebody. And I bump into Father Bo, and I say, Father Bo, this is what's happened. Let's go to the altar and pray, and we prayed. I got the greatest gift because I trusted God's plan. I'm so grateful that I was the last voice my father heard, and he followed Jesus home. Now, my dad's passed, we go to the funeral. Driving back from the funeral, we're in Virginia. Not many places to eat off the highway, but the sunsets are beautiful. And there we go, God grabs my heart, and he says, you're going back to school, you're getting a master's degree. I'm not gonna tell you what for, you have to figure that out. And then I heard my dad, and he said, you got this, baby girl. Now this time I knew it was God, and I turned to Guy, and I said, God just told me I'm going back to school, and I'm getting a master's degree. I'm not smart enough for that. But I know, with God, if he wills it, there's a way. So I begin looking for schools until the, I realized I was just gripping it too much, and I let it go. That summer, I go on a personal retreat. I take with me a book called Prayer Conversing with God by Rosalind Rinker, and God grips my heart. And he says, you're gonna take this book and you're gonna make it into a musical presentation. You're gonna start off, it's gonna be congregational. So it's gonna be reading and songs. The first set, you're gonna praise me. Second set is the theme that I wanna express to my people. You'll still get your solo, because I know you want one. And then you're gonna give a message, and you're gonna end with like a, oh, we're gonna have a little taze in there, followed by a, a sending off reading and song. Okay. Open the eyes of my heart, he says. That's the one we're doing. So through prayer, I do open the eyes of my heart, bring in Jack Kraft on cello, I play piano and sing. Guy records it, because even though we don't have that great big mansion anymore, he still likes to record things. I give a copy to Father Bo. Father Bo calls me up, he goes, whoa, come bring this over to St. Angela. All right, so we did. 
we brought it to St. Angela. And that night, Father Bo called me, and he said, you just brought a whole new worship to St. Angela, and I'd like you to continue to do that. So I have every Lent and every Advent. These are the other ones. They're all prayerfully done with God. Humble thyself, word of God speak, hands that are holding me, I forgive. King of my heart, that one was the year of the Eucharist. I really wanted to do something about Eucharist. I was like away in a manger, right, manger. But God said, no, 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 I want king of my heart. And eventually I surrendered, and that's what we did. And this past month we did How Far Love Goes. This is just the way it's gonna be. I'm gonna be at the Baptist Church, just the piano player. I'm gonna do these reflective services as my outlet. And then God speaks again. It's during a worship service at Williams Boulevard Baptist Church. And the pastor was preaching, and then he, the pastor said, but God spoke through the pastor, he said, take what you learned from the church and bring it to the world. And God said, you're taking what you learned from here, and you're going to St. Angela. Put your two weeks notice in. What? No, 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 no way. But I did it. I put in my two weeks notice. But now I'm just doing the children's mass on Fridays. I don't have a Sunday gig anymore. I started doing church music in 2000. It's 2017, so about 17 years. I've always been involved in something on a Sunday, and now I have nothing. And I'm going, God, I don't understand this. He told me to go out in the world, go to St. Angela. I really don't want to go there. And now you've taken away the thing I love, my music. Like, I have a gift. You gave me this gift. Why did you take this gift away from me? And I remembered Pastor Tim, right? Compare yourself to others in the Bible. Well, the Bible story that really I connected to was Joseph and his dreams. Because Joseph had a gift. He had a gift of dreams. But Joseph, what happened? His brothers throw him in a ditch, becomes a slave. The master's wife lies. Now he's in jail. But he still has this gift. And eventually Joseph is placed where God wants him to be. And so I figured, that's gotta be my life. Episcopal thing didn't work, the Baptist thing didn't work. Surely at some point I'm gonna shine somewhere. So that was my hope. But I really was angry, God. Like, you gave me a gift and now you just shut me up. Because God trimmed me and then he set me in a season of winter. Now yes, my tree of St. Angela was growing, but I wasn't paying attention to that. I really felt that I was trapped in a winter. And God, everywhere I went, would say, be still and know. I want to do, oh, be still and know. Well, meanwhile, our son Henry, the youngest, little David, little David, he says he wants to be Catholic. What? It's First Communion. Every child always said, oh, we're going to say Episcopal. Good job, Robert. Good job, Samantha. And then it's for dinner, and I said, oh yeah, guy, tonight's that talk about First Communion, but we don't need to worry about it because Henry's not gonna be Catholic. And Henry goes, uh, no, I, I do wanna be Catholic. What? Guy, you got five minutes to get to the gym, go! So little Henry decides he wants to become Catholic. We meet with Father Bo, Father Bo talks to Henry. He says, all right, come be received into the church. Meanwhile, I'm church shopping, because I don't want to be Catholic. I work for the Catholics. I'm not going to be Catholic. <laughs> so I've tried Baptist church. I've tried all sorts of churches. And in the meantime, I would come back to St. Angela. Back to St. Angela, especially now that Guy and Henry need to go to weekly mass. And Guy says to me, look, before you really shut the door on the Catholics, can you please learn some more about us? 
Now, I had been meeting with Deacon Gill once a month, and he'd always say, oh, we'd love to have you, but only if you feel called to, and I greatly appreciated that. So came January, I joined the RCIA. I joined the Rosary Group. In fact, the first time I put in his house, everywhere in her house, I saw, be still and know, be still and know. Samantha and I joined the choir, and we joined the St. Joseph altar. And just being around Catholics, all of the things I had been told growing up as an Episcopal in the Baptist church didn't match up. You're looking for truth, and then God presents it to you. And I realized, this isn't so bad. I kind of like what I'm learning in RCIA. I agree with this. It kind of seems silly not to become one. Ooh, that was a scary thought. And actually, I started attending daily mass. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, it's time for RCIA to go to confession. So I go to my first confession. I was told as my penance to pray the Our Father. Okay. Now, at the time, and when I got to the part that said, Thy will be done, I stopped. And I wondered, Thy will be done. And then I fell asleep. Until I heard the word preach. Preach? I can't preach. I can't be a priest in the Catholic Church. What's that supposed to mean? So I dismissed it. Now comes time for the scrutinies. Scrutiny number one, Father Patrick prays over us. And I had that experience like I did at Williams Boulevard when I accepted Jesus. That fire came from above and through my body and I just started sobbing as I walked out of the church across the street. Scrutiny number two. When we go across the street, we had to reflect on the gospel of the day. And the gospel of the day was the stoning of the adulteress. And we had about 10 minutes to listen to God. And as I was listening to God, he said, you are the adulteress. Not because you've committed adultery, but you want to be Catholic. And you're afraid of the things that people are going to say to you. The stones of the words of their hate and anger and disappointment in you becoming Catholic. And I just started sobbing. And when we shared what happened in the room, got to me and I'm going, I'm the woman through these sobs. So I meet with Father Bo, I tell him what's going on, and he says, take the pressure off, it's okay. You don't have to be received at the Easter Vigil, I want you to come when you're ready. Thank you, Jesus, except God didn't like that. He, he wanted me in. So he started putting the words of Hosea everywhere. Come back to me with all your heart. Don't let fear keep us apart. There was a Bible study I picked up. It was Hosea. Songs in church for Hosea. Even in my reflection service, Hosea. Long have I waited for your coming home to me and living deeply our new life. Still, I'm scared till Holy Week. Oh boy, I remember Deacon Gill saying, oh, Holy Week's gonna be a tough one. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. Oh boy, was it. Holy Thursday comes. I'm in the choir in the back. We're singing. He says, I want you to become an ecclesial minister and you're gonna bring music to the homebound. Well, I can't do that, Lord, I'm not Catholic. Well, you're gonna be Catholic, okay. So Good Friday comes, I'm walking the dog with Guy. I'm now telling him everything that's happening. You know, there are those times where we know God clearly. 
And then there's those times where it's dark. You can't see, but you still gotta be able to recognize the voice. And I couldn't recognize the voice. I was, I was in this dark fear of what would happen and I, I couldn't tell, is this God, is it not God? But as I talked it out loud with Guy, it became clear that I needed to be received. But I need a sponsor. Who am I gonna ask as a sponsor like the day before the Easter vigil? That's the thing, like I was scared to be Catholic, but I knew who I would ask when I was ready, and that was Putin. So I called up Putin and I said, would you be my sponsor? And oh yes, I would, I was so grateful. But here's what's happening, Putin. I gave her the, the scoop of what was going on. She says, all right, well you call me and let me know, and, and I'll be there. I meet Father Bo after a Good Friday service. I tell him what's going on, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. All right, I want you to meet with Deacon Gill first. Meet with Deacon Gill. Okay, so I set up a meeting on Saturday, the morning of the vigil, to meet with Deacon Gill. And I went to the church, and I finally surrendered it all. I lay prostrate before the cross in our church, and I cried, saying, I surrender. Please let me be received. And then I went to the Mary Garden, and I cried to Mary, saying, I surrender, I surrender. You know, please let me be received. And then I met with Deacon Gill, already a, a sloppy mess. <laughs> and for one hour, I cried. I guess just really sharing everything, what I believed in and what I wanted and what I hoped would happen. I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go meet with Father Bo now and, and you'll get a call shortly. Well, that call shortly ended up becoming phone tag. My phone wasn't working well, Father Bo called, left a message I didn't see or hear, and back and forth, and now it's five o'clock. Am I gonna be received in the church or not? I don't know. So I'm dressed ready in case it's a yes. And I'm just about to get in the car. I said, let me just call Father Bo because I would hate to show up and then be told, sorry, go home. So I call and he answers, hey, Kimberly, what's up? Well, am I, am I being received? Yes, you are, you're being received, come on. So I call, put it, put it, I'm being received tonight. Okay, I'll meet you at the rehearsal. And that night I was received. Oh my goodness, and now I could feel life again. I felt the movement through my body again. I was awakening from this winter. And then I asked my kids, the four that were still Episcopal, y'all wanna join me and be Catholic? They're like, nope. How long are we gonna be here for? We were Episcopal, we were Baptist, now we're Catholic. Uh-uh, we're just gonna stay as we are. So now I'm flying out and I just feel full of life and the Eucharist, I heard about how you can be spiritually fed through the Eucharist, and I never felt that in the Episcopal Church. I thought the Baptists got it right, because even though they do the breaking of the bread every couple of months, you're not supposed to break bread if you're still not in good standing with somebody. So I liked that part of it. But still I wasn't feeling transformed. But once I started receiving Eucharist in the Catholic Church, oh my gosh, what have I been waiting for? I'm so glad I, I'm part of that now. I get asked to canter. Oh my gosh, I get to sing. I get to, to canter for a Sunday Mass at St. Angela. And the recessional is how can I keep from singing? <laughs> Guy, can you believe that? I get to sing for the first time at St. Angela as the canter. I did it Christmas Eve. This is Sunday Mass. And as I sang that song, God came and he wrapped his arms around me and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have followed me where I have led you, and you are exactly where I want you to be. 
And I almost stopped singing because it was so powerful. And when Mass was over, I'm like, God, you've got to hear what happened. Oh, my gosh. Then Samantha's school needs a religion teacher, and she's like, Mom, you should be the next religion teacher. You'd be so great at it. So I'd call up Chappelle, and they're like, do you have a theology degree? No. Well, you need a theology degree or a master's in theology. I begin the search for college, and this time I learn about the ILM program and the MAPL program at the seminary. And I submit, and, they, and not only that, when I call to inquire about it, they go, oh, well, we have a new director coming this year. So normally, applications, that date would have passed by now, but because of this transitional year, we're still accepting applicants. Praise God. So I applied. That summer, we took a trip to New Mexico, and I will never forget. I was in a store looking for shirts with my kids in Taos when Father Bo calls me. And I go, kids, it's Father Bo. I'll be right back. And I go outside, and Father Bo informs me that there's a position opening as the music director, and he would like me to come in and interview. Also during that trip, I find out that I've been accepted to the MAPLE program. I was told I was gonna go back and get my master's. Well, now I am, oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, and then that August in my prayer garden, God says, you don't need to be still anymore. Now is the time to go and do what I have been preparing you to do. In October, I'm offered the position as the music director and I accept it. And now, Joseph, I'm not next to Pharaoh, but I'm next to Father Bo and St. Angela. Oh my gosh! This was all part of God's plan. He shaped me, he grew me, he stretched me. All of that pain that I went through was him refining me. There was a Bible study I did where it talked about sculpting and how the sculptor has to chisel like there's that block of rock. And we don't know what's inside, but the artist can see something really beautiful. And he begins to chisel, chisel, chisel until he gets something beautiful. And that's what God was doing. He was chisel, chisel, chiseling me. But was that easy? No, because I'm new to being Catholic. I was Episcopal, Episcopal and Catholic. There's some similarities in the service, but Baptist, forget about it. Like I was, I've been there for six years. I'm like really removed from liturgy. So that was difficult to come in. I come in in October and already I'm told, you gotta start planning for Advent. Oh my gosh, what do you mean? I got a choir, I got all these masses. Ah, I had no confidence in what I was doing. Clearly Father Bo saw something that I didn't see and I'm just panicking. And so I would pray saying, Lord, I know you put me here and I know this is where you want me to be, but man, this is hard. And if the cup could pass, please let it pass. But if it's your will, I'll do it. Well, he responded to that prayer eventually in a dream. And in the dream, I am running in fear. I'm running inside with this fear behind me and I hit a wall and now I'm outside. And I'm running outside and now I hit this clear wall and now I'm inside and I'm in and I'm out and I'm hitting and I'm hitting and finally, I'm in this beautiful, it's like what I would envision for Psalm 23. It's this beautiful pasture with a brook and this gorgeous mountain covered in trees. And now I look up the mountain and I see Jesus and this heavenly light coming behind him. And God says, you are exactly where I want you to be. You need to surrender. Boom. And I wake up. Surrender? What am I supposed to surrender to? 
It took me a few weeks in prayer to figure that out. What I needed to surrender was my ego. Yes, I was asked to be a music director, and with that, I thought I had to know it all. I'm a director, I need to know it all. And when people would give me advice, oh, but I'm supposed to know it all. Now, I might have played like I wasn't like that outward, but inwardly, that's how I was. And finally, I surrendered my ego, and I learned so much. And it, didn't, it also helped that we ended up with a pandemic because I was able to learn one-on-one. -on -one. And while the world was shut down, many churches learned that we could offer services live-streamed. So I'm the music director, and I was so blessed to be able to go to Mass and receive Eucharist. While everyone else was getting spiritual communion, I'm getting real communion. But it's just me and Father Bo, or me and Father Dan. Holy Week was me, both priests, and two deacons. And what better way to learn than one-on-one, -on -one, completely stripped down. And so through that pandemic, I learned and I grew and I always was, help, was just so joyous when someone would share information because to me, it was helping me move the ego and I learned. And then, not only that, by the end of the pandemic, or actually we're still in it, but we started having people in the church again. An opening came up, the five o'clock praise team, which I subbed for every now and then. And the first time I subbed for it, I came home and I, oh my gosh, it's like a little bitty Williams Boulevard Baptist church service. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I said, God, like I would love to be part of that on a regular basis, but only if it's part of your plan. And sure enough, it ended up becoming part of the plan. And also I have to say in 2020, Robert said he wanted to be received in the Catholic church. So now I got daddy's Catholic, mommy's Catholic, my oldest becomes Catholic, and my little baby's Catholic. So we got the three in the middle. Now it's kind of awkward. I don't want to like ask somebody and then he, no one likes to be rejected. So it's kind of like, do you ask, do you not ask? And so now we're in 2021 and we were all talking at the table and then God said, I want you to go ask them if they want to be Catholic. Okay, y'all want to be Catholic? And the three of them went, yes. What? Really? Oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. Deacon Gill came in and my children met with him until they were received. And now we're one holy Catholic family. But also part of my journey, I have become involved with the Daughters of St. Paul. As I mentioned, St. Paul is my favorite saint. And when I shared that with my spiritual director, she said, I want you to go to the Pauline bookstore and learn more about St. Paul. Okay, so I went and I met Sister Jackie. And when I shared with her what was going on, she said, you know, we have this Pauline cooperative and um, it's for laity and, and I think this would be a good fit for you. So I said, okay, let me learn about it. And, and I came back and said, okay, I'll do this. So every month we have readings and we have reflections and, and then we meet once a month virtually. So the very first month I get my material and I went to the Seneca and I sat under a magnolia tree. At one point it said, sit in silence and ask God to tell you what it is he wants you to do as part of the Pauline family. I set my timer for 10 minutes, I sit in the chair, and he holds my heart. I'm thinking reflective services, that's gonna be my way. And he grabs my heart and he says, you're gonna write. 
Bible studies, and then he left. I'm, I'm, I don't think I can do that. But again, I've learned, whatever God says, he's gonna make it happen in time. So now I know that God's definitely left. Do I, do I look at the clock? Do I stop this silence? I don't know, and then something hits my leg. I open my eyes, it's a magnolia seed. It drops on the ground, and where it falls, I see coming out of the tree this feather that goes back and forth ever so gently till it touches the ground, which I keep. It's in my kitchen as a reminder of what God's new mission for me is. But I don't understand. Like, God, I, I think you're telling me something with the seed and this feather. Now I'm in Carline waiting for Samantha at Chappelle. I'm reading my, my readings of Father Alberioni, the founding father, and in it, he says, plant seeds so evil will take flight. Magnolia seed, feather. I'm going to plant seeds so evil will take flight. But in God's time. So I know, I know writing is in there somewhere. And then just a couple of months ago, during my formation meeting, uh, Gretchen is also part of the formation, we, we were talking about the spirituality of the Pauline family, and one of them is Lexia Divina. So I shared with them how I do it. And when I finished, Gretchen says, I see a book. Oh my gosh, the next puzzle piece was laid out. And since then, I've not been writing one, but two books. One is Lectio Divina, and the other one is my experience of God speaking to me through nature. And so I'm slowly working through this. Now another part of the Pauline um, spirituality is adoration. Now all of this I've been telling you about God, I've been telling you about Jesus, clearly I've been experiencing the Holy Spirit, but Mary was still a foreign concept to me because that's not in the Baptist church, that's not in the Episcopal church. And so it was an adoration where Jesus brought me to Mary. I had a falling out with one of my children. I was so upset. I came into the adoration chapel, I'm actually on Thursdays at one o'clock, I'm at St. Clement of Rome, I am the captain for the one o'clock slot. I came in sobbing. I was on my knees until I couldn't be there anymore. And when I sat down, someone had put the Sorrowful Mary prayer card next to me. That just spoke to me. I used that prayer card as a way to, to heal from the pain I had. And it was my first encounter with Mary. And then eventually I was asked to do 33 days to morning glory. A parent from St. Angela, who's here, uh, God spoke to her and said, invite Kimberly to be part of this with you. Uh, she asks someone every year, and this year it was me. And it was through that that my relationship really began. My, my blindness, I began to see the light. Between her witness to Mary, the, what we shared every morning through our experiences with this book, I began to put pieces together. Mary's always been there. I was married on October 13th, because it was a Friday. But that's the apparition of Our Lady of Fatima. I play Mary in a, in a pageant, I get my first child. I pray to Mary when I'm at the end of my rope with the bed and breakfast. I give birth to my son Guy and we move. My father dies on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So she's always been there. And I realize that she is my mother, has always been my mother and she's such an example to live by. So now I'm one tree, I'm the Catholic tree, with my roots that grow deep into the soil, receiving the nourishing waters from Jesus, with my branches raised high, receiving the grace, the mercy, and the love from God above. At the core of who I am, I'm a daughter of God. 
my vocation is that of wife, and through my vocation, I've been mother. I'm a mother of five. And my ministry is music and teaching. I have found Jesus in my heart. I believe in God, and I believe God. Mary is my mother, and such an example of humility and pondering in the heart, and the spirit moves within me. Do I preach? What am I doing right now? Every time I share God's movement in my life, or about the gospel, or through music, I am preaching. We all preach when we do that. Am I famous? No, I'm not worldly famous. The most important thing is that God is using me to touch the lives and hearts of all those at St. Angela Marisi Parish and those he brings to the parish where I am ministering musically and teaching. And the best thing of all is that this journey has brought me home. It has brought me home to the Catholic faith. Yes, God was in those other churches, all those other denominations. The spirit moved, God moved, Jesus was there. Not so much Mary, but everybody else. But the thing that's missing are the sacraments and the graces we receive from that. And not only do I get to partake in that, but now my whole family does. With that, this is, this is all of us. We all want to be that tree standing by the water and not be moved to weather through every storm, standing firmly on the truth of our Lord, with Mary as our guide and Jesus, the whole family, strengthening us, guiding us, leading us, giving us strength when we're tired, encouraging us, loving us, and filling us with grace. So come on, Smith. Why? Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.